1: I didn't have a, I'm interested in you guys vibe. I was yeah. completely <laughs> disinterested. People like, you don't like men. No, I just was not interested. Like I was, right. I didn't have any interest in entertaining them and talking to them and right. smelling them. Like I always thought they smelled bad, you know?
0: I'm diking out, you're out. Let's dike out together. See what it's all about.
2: Hi and welcome to Diking Out, a podcast that after 200 episodes has finally reached its goal. I'm Carolyn Bergier. I'm Melody Kamali. And, and today, today we're diking out, out with, with Rosie, Rosie O'Donnell. O'Donnell. Ah! Yeah, that's Rosie O'Donnell. The one, the only... Some might call her Ro, if you're on uh, speaking terms like we are now. If you're on casual video chat terms. Wow, wow, wow. If you're listening for the first time, this episode is going to be a little bit different because it's Rosie frickin' O'Donnell, so the whole episode is all about Ro. Yes. We're dyking out about Ro with Ro. Yes. And if you want any other content, you can go to our Patreon. There's actually some really maybe shocking i don't know content on it this week check oh, it yeah. out for as little as five dollars a month you can get access to those episodes but this episode forget everything you know about diking out except for the fact that rosie o'donnell is the ultimate daikon and she is on the episode today this has been in the works since the, the first episode, I voiced that it was my goal one day to have Rosie O'Donnell on the podcast. And I've thought about it regularly for years <laughs> since then. Before I started the podcast, I was lucky to meet Rosie very briefly at a show at UCB. I've exchanged DMs with her. She has agreed to be on Diking Out. It's just been a matter of scheduling and timing and figuring out the right way. And then we said, hey, 200th episode wouldn 't this be great? and she pulled through and made it happen um rosie 's YouTube page has been slowly quietly
3: releasing a lot of interviews, and I yes. think they're kind of seeing what they could get away, you know, just like rights yeah. wise um. So it was good to rewatch those as an adult. I used to watch her talk show after school. This is why she was so important for me from a young age. I was probably a little too young to fully understand what I was watching, but I knew it was important. I knew this woman (laughs) was a lesbian um, before I knew really what a lesbian really was or just a queer person.
2: Yeah. Anybody who listens to this podcast knows how obsessed I am with Rosie and just from a young age, how much she has has meant to me, and before... We interviewed her. I went to revisit the episode where she interviews Barbara Streisand. So, for Rosie, Barbara Streisand was like the ultimate person. She grew up, you know, listening to all her records, knew every song, every word, the music was always in her house, all of that. And when Barbara came to do the Rosie O'Donnell show, it was a big fucking deal for Rosie. And I remember watching it and I remember crying while watching it at the time and then getting very emotional, rewatching the clip and seeing that for someone. But interviewing Rosie to me, Mm -hmm. it's a little bit different, but for, for Rosie has been such an important source of inspiration in my life. And right before she brings Barbara onto the stage. She looks at the camera and she gets emotional and she just says, boys and girls, dreams do come true. Oh. And then Barbara comes out <laughs> and that's what I want to say. But update it to say, folks, to be inclusive, folks, yeah. folks. <laughs> dreams do come true. And this is our interview with Rosie O'Donnell. I was thinking about it yesterday, and uh, when you interviewed Barbara Streisand, you were 35. That's right. And I know Dyking Out is no Rosie O'Donnell show, but this is a pretty big personal milestone yeah. for me. So that I get to be dyking out with Rosie O'Donnell is a big freaking deal. Well, so, I'm thank
1: honored you. to be a part of it. I'm honored to be here for your 200th episode. I think that's fantastic. You know, when I was your age, there was no such thing as a diking out podcast being, um, you know, commercially successful. That wasn't what yes. was happening when I was in my right. early 30s.
2: Yeah, that was a bad word back then, right?
1: Yeah, kind of, you know. And um, I remember people were, would ask me if it was a bad word. Like, you know, Rosie, if somebody says dyke, I go, I think the people who live within the culture that uses that word own it. You know, mm-hmm. right? So it's it wasn't a bad word necessarily when you're hanging out with your friends. You know, hey, great big yeah. dike, give me a give me a beer. You know, <laughs> like you would say <laughs> to your friends, right? Do I look too dikey in this? Is this a total dike outfit? You know, like, <laughs> right, right? Right? Or this? When I got my haircut, I remember I said to some of my friends, you know, I was afraid to get it really short. You know, and I thought, well, I don't want it to look too gay. And my friends said to me. You think it's your hair that <laughs> <is>. <laughs> I was like, you're so right. You know, you but when you're my age and you're raised in a culture where, you know, you've just been conditioned that that's not the way it's supposed to be, you know. Right. And so, right. you know, I feel bad for people my age now trying to understand the explosion of uh, queer uh, America or the, the presence of of trans and, and non-binary and you know non-gendered individuals. It's it's pretty overwhelming to try to figure out at sixty. I can't imagine people older than right. me how they do it, you know?
2: Well my mom is turning 70 in September and I spend a lot of time trying to explain it to her. The yeah. the they them, she's like, but you're talking about one person. I'm like, I am talking about one person.
3: <laughs>
1: right right. <laughs>
2: yeah. She'll get it uh, eventually. And speaking of the word dyke, is it true that when you came out, I mean, you were out to everybody in your life. But when you officially came out on stage at Caroline's, the phrase was, I'm a dyke. I'm a dyke. Mm. That's what I read.
1: I believe that's what I said.
2: (laughs) You got a big laugh.
1: I go newsflash. Love it. I'm a dyke. (laughs) Everybody, is that a big shock to anyone? Okay. I didn't think so. (laughs) Moving forward you know. (laughs)
2: Great.
1: (laughs) I mean, it was difficult to have sort of your life split down the middle of what the public knows and and what you're living. You know, I remember when People Magazine came out and it said, world's hardest working single mom. And I was like, first of all, I was with Kelly. Right. Right. So I wasn't (laughs) a single mom ever. Right. And um, to be getting like accolades and have her just kind of removed and my publicist at the time was lois smith the legendary lois smith who was marilyn monroe's publicist as well and she was a legendary just a one hell of a woman like showbiz dame you know and um she was meryl streep's publicist and robert redford and everybody you name it she was and so she, when I when I took the job before the show came on the air, you know, I told Warner Brothers that I was gay because I didn't want them investing millions and then saying, you know, you defrauded us. So I said, I just want you to know this, that I don't imagine that I'll come out at the time. You know, it seemed like an impossible task. Right. That, you know, one person's going to change the entire culture. What are you kidding me? You know, and I remember when Ellen decided to come out I remember thinking, well, she's going to ruin her whole career.
2: Yeah. And she did for a little bit. Yeah. And then came back. Yeah. 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 And do people still think you're Lebanese? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, but I was one of my proudest moments where as a gay person, I wasn't going to get let another gay person stand there alone when that is, you know, my uh, yeah. uniform too, my tattoo. Right. right. That's the, I'm not going to, you know, there's a great Tori Amos song, Your mom shows up in a nasty dress and it's your turn now to stand where I stand. Everyone's looking at you. Take hold of my hand. And that's what I felt about that that moment. I was like, you're being very brave and I'm not going to let you do it by yourself.
2: That's amazing. My
3: favorite television moment, truly. Right, right. We talk about it a lot here. Yeah, (laughs)
2: Yeah. 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 we had Judy Gold on uh, last summer and definitely talked about some of those moments with her and the classic uh, Madonna
1: holding Judy's Judy's baby. baby, That's right.
2: Yeah,
1: (laughs) right. So long ago now, it's hard to believe, you know. Yeah. yeah, 25th anniversary, right? Yes. It's sort of mm-hmm. shocking. I went out to breakfast with Abby Lee Miller yesterday at mm-hmm. Mel's Diner in um, Santa Monica. I met her before she went to jail, before she got cancer, on a Broadway stage. And I was like, you ought too much. I'm going to play you in a Broadway musical. You get off those kids. You're so mean to them. What are you doing? She's laughing. And, you know, like I... Totally could play her in something. But um, we went out to brunch brunch or lunch, whatever, and I must have taken 25 pictures of people with Abby Lee Miller in her wheelchair because she had spinal cancer. Wow. Yeah, and everybody was like, now she did have on a huge Abby Lee Miller T-shirt, which does draw a little bit of the attention, but she was beloved in Mel's Diner. I'm like... (laughs) <laughs> There's going to be a comeback for Abby Lee Miller. I I can see it. I can see it.
2: <laughs> I believe it. If you
1: call it, it's going to happen. You've called happen. a lot of things.
2: I've called a lot of yeah. things. I yeah, yeah. yeah. From Tickle Me Elmo. <laughs> to, <Yeah. laughs> this, to Donald Trump being the worst yeah, person. First person. You living. were the OG yeah. hater of Donald Trump. And every time I was like, Rosie was right. She knew it.
1: I knew it, but how could you not know it if you grew up in New York? Right. You know, right. it was like a known thing. I mean, I remember his planes being repossessed off the runway at LaGuardia, his Trump planes, and his bullshit liquor, and his steaks, and his fake university. It's like he's the worst kind of con man. And then he got hooked up with Mark Burnett, who is the devil incarnate, for doing what he did and allowing him the kind of uh, resume that was completely fraudulent, (laughs) you know, that he was some successful businessman, that they had a boardroom. They didn't have a boardroom. Mark Burnett (laughs) made a boardroom, right? (laughs) This is not what people think. And now half the country is in a is in a coma and a cult. All right. right. And where do we go as a nation? You know, what helped you survive those four years? You know, I think keeping myself out of the public eye, pretty much. I think maintaining my uh, opinion and educating myself enough to be able to articulate my feelings in a concise and succinct way every day on Twitter or whatever. It was difficult. When you get into a, a you know, bullshit celebrity feud with a two-bit failed reality show host, it doesn't really affect your life too much. But when that man yeah. becomes the president of the United States and the biggest threat to democracy our country has ever faced, and I am his uh, punching bag, yeah. it's uh, pretty surreal. You know, all we have to do is take these lies and make them true. George and Michael. Yeah. <laughs> I had a um, interesting thing happen to me. Not that this is about dyking out, but a little bit it is. So my little girl's eight. I'm here living with her alone. My older kids are back east. She meets four little girls under the age of seven in one house. She's thrilled. She's absolutely thrilled. They play together. They go, you know, on the yard in their little pool. They go, they're so deliciously. And I meet the parents and they seem very nice. And and then the parents invite her to go over to their house. So I go over to their house, and this is after a couple of dates of, you know. And there I see on the um, wine rack two MAGA hats.
3: Well, why on the what do you do? Yeah.
1: What do you do? First thing I did, took a picture of them when they weren't looking. They turned around, I went to ching. Because I had to tell people this because they were not going to believe it. First, I show the gorgeous we are the world. Look at how the country's getting along. And then (laughs) the MAGA hats come in. Right. And it has been a big challenge for me personally to not disregard them because of their political beliefs. Like I have the urge, I had the urge to go like, okay, I cannot. Right. Cannot what? Let my daughter have her friends. I can't what? Be civil to people who are quite nice. I mean, they're very kind. They're very sweet. They, you know. So finally, after a few more days of hanging together with our kids, she said, how come we don't see you so much now? How come we don't? I said, the truth. I saw your MAGA hats. Oh. Said, and I'm like, you know, a Jew and that's the SWAT sticker. I didn't say that we were going to be able to have this conversation. She's like, we have many friends who have many different political beliefs. I go, is this because you're Persian Jews? Is that because of the Israeli policy? Is this your illusion that Donald Trump loves Jewish people? Which, you know, frankly, he does not. So I, I, I don't know. We had a mini conversation of it. But I'm I'm happy that I didn't just do what my instinct was, which was to go, you know. Right. Yeah. 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 Because how are we going to be a nation if we don't... Right. Yeah,
2: I, I moved from Queens upstate a little bit during the pandemic, and I I just assume half my neighbors probably voted for him. Right. And it, it does teach you to try to see people as humans who are doing their best and they're just misinformed or hold on to, to bad beliefs for whatever reason. But it's so important that we can't just disregard and forget about a large swath of the country or else we'll never really be exactly a country exactly and it's hard though it's hard, it's after hard. Everything that it really happens. is hard it's hard to um it's hard to wrap your head around persians
3: voting for trump though i'm persian i'm just like <laughs> it doesn't make sense are you jewish
1: no um it's the jewish but, thing i think that that yeah. they tied in with him with israel she was saying you know But she does not want to talk to politics. But she, you know what's funny? She has an accent like that. I said, where'd you grow up? She says, in West Hollywood. I'm like, okay. (laughs) She's like, but my mother talks like that, so I kind of do. I'm like, interesting. I don't know that that's how accents work, but okay. You know, whatever you want to do.
2: Well, you just moved to L.A. Yes. Is this your first time permanently or semi-permanently living in LA or you've done it before? I
1: did it for 10 years from when I first moved out there in 84 after I did Star Search. And I had my first kid, which was um, 95. So then I wanted him to grow up with his cousins and everything. So I moved back to New York and I took the daytime talk show job so that I could be home with him and not have to go get a nanny on the road and everything.
2: How is it like adjusting back to life in L.A. after the time you've spent in New York? You know,
1: New York has been very hard since the pandemic. And um, in the year before that, the pandemic, I had sold my house in Florida, so I didn't have that normal kind of, it's getting depressing in New York, let's fly down to Florida. You know, that's been how I've been able to stay on the East Coast for all these years. For many, right. many years, I had a home in Florida and it was life-saving. So for almost two years, having no sun, and then the pandemic um, and my depression really got got the better of me. And I knew it and I knew I had to make a big change. And I had gotten um, a series on Showtime, American Gigolo, that starts shooting in January, and it will air yeah. next summer with John Berenthal and Gretchen Mol, and it's from the guy who made Ray Donovan. Oh, okay. So it's you know a really wonderful series, and I'm happy to be on that. And that shoots for like three months, January to March or April here in L.A. So I have a daughter who uh, is eight years old and and is spectrum on the spectrum and. And she has a special school that she's going to here that's really for kids exactly like what she has and uh, Mm -hmm. what she is about. You know, she's one of these quirky like she would fit on Big Bang Theory. Right. (laughs) She could be on Big Bang Theory and totally fit in with with those in in the quirky way that that autism and and all of its, you know, all of its offshoots um, manifests in girls is so different than mm-hmm. how it manifests in boys.
2: Right, because you had the experience with your son.
1: Yes, I have, uh, my my oldest son had auditory processing disorder, my youngest son rather, which was really severe and he couldn't understand, uh, we couldn't understand him and he couldn't understand us. And it was really, really tragic. And um, so I, one day he was getting his hair cut and I said, do you want to trim? Or do you want a haircut like Parker? And he's like, I want a haircut. I'm like, okay, honey, but what kind? Like, do you want? So I got him a new haircut, short like Parker's. And two days later, we're driving home from school. I said, did anyone say anything about your haircut? And he starts crying and screaming and saying, I told you I want haircut and you did do it. This is not it. This is... And I was like, "Okay, I'm going to do everything I can so that we can figure out how to communicate with each other, honey. And I got this woman, Lois Heyman, who was had written a book, um, the book on auditory processing. And then we wrote the actual book about it that talked about, you know, Blake and where he was when he started and how he's doing now, which is fantastic. But um, I think that he. Two is on the spectrum, but they didn't diagnose him with that 21 years ago. But her they diagnosed at three with autism. And every time I go back, I honestly think this time they're going to tell me she doesn't have it. And they never do. (laughs) But like I get myself to the point where and people other people go, she doesn't have it. I'm like, well, maybe she doesn't. Maybe she outgrew it. No, it's a neurological disorder. Right? Right, (laughs) right. You're not really going to outgrow it.
3: Vast and it's spectrum, so yeah, right. Every right, everyone, be so different.
1: Exactly. So I like being here. I mean, it helps my depression. Dakota loves it. She loves having me all to herself. Um, my older kids are are adjusting. I think they they understand. My eighteen year old is going to college, so she leaves in about a week. And um, my daughter has two kids and is living in Wisconsin. And Parker is about to get out of the Marines after four years. So. Wow. Yeah. Hard to believe. Yeah. I
3: loved your material about him wanting to get into the Marines in your special.
1: Yes. (laughs) Me like going, please, (laughs) God damn it, anything. But I still have the pictures of me when in the day that he signed up and went in and I'm sitting there crying with a stranger. And I see that guy sometimes because his son went in, too. Like both of us were like, what are they doing? You know, but (laughs) um you know, this is what he always wanted to do in his life. And there are people who feel called to that for, you know, for reasons that us, you know, non-enlisted people don't really understand. But I'm very proud of him and I'm happy as he is that he's getting out.
2: Since we're talking about about your kids and adopting specifically... Do you have any advice for queer couples? What were the big things that you didn't anticipate that you learned along the way?
1: Well, I adopted all of my kids alone until Vivi, when Kelly gave birth to Vivi. And because I wanted to get on the birth certificate because I thought if anything ever happened, I was concerned that her family might feel Differently, which I think that they they did initially feel differently, you know, about as Kelly's mother would say, the blood, their blood. (laughs) Like, okay, But, you know, I I would say this, I, I did it by myself because I didn't want to have to go through what. You had to go through to be a gay couple and everyone knew I was gay, like the social worker who came to do the thing knew I was gay. And, you know, it wasn't like a surprise to to them. Everyone just sort of helped people who were gay adopt, even though um, it was illegal.
3: Right. You'd had to declare that you were gay, right? You had to declare that you were not gay. Were of not gay. Yeah.
1: Yes, exactly. That's thinking, <laughs> yeah. Wait a minute, is she trying to trick me? No. Um, <laughs> yes, you had to declare you were not gay. Right.
3: So you just had social workers tend to be <laughs> good people yeah,
1: um, exactly. turning a blind eye. and Well, knowing that there are children that need homes and good loving homes and that a parent's sexual identity doesn't have anything to do with their ability to parent as Studies have shown over and over, you know. Right. So, um, you know, I remember that when we were going to adopt Rosita, there was something that you had to sign that you were not now or never had been a lesbian or something. Oh, my God. It was very weird. Um, And we ended up not being able to. And then we did the ACLU lawsuit with uh, Steve Crofton and Roger Cruteau and uh, two nurses, HIV nurses, who... Adopted the kids who's um, orphan kids from AIDS and some of them zero converted and they tried to adopt that kid and they wouldn't let them. It's to try to help change those laws because they're very antiquated and racist and homophobic and against everyone's civil liberties.
2: Is it still easier to adopt as a single mom than as a gay couple?
1: I don't know, really, because... When I adopted Dakota, she knew that it was me. My other children, they didn't know that it was me. They were closed adoptions. And with Dakota, it was an open adoption. I think now it's It's the same. It depends on your state. Mm -hmm. The adoption laws are state to state. And some are real scary, you know. Florida. Exactly. (laughs) That's where you were doing that, Yeah. right? (laughs) Yeah, I was pursuing that. And we would take these surveys to see where the, you know, constituents were on this issue to bring it up to the state legislature. And and they said that like some absurd amount of people would rather that a child stayed in foster care than was with two gay people. Right. So we were fighting an uphill battle. That was for sure.
2: And you would talk about it on your show. Yeah. How was that received back then? Because I think I remember that before you had come out, publicly talking about the adoption laws, if I remember correctly. Yes, for sure. Yes. Yeah,
1: for sure. I was doing that before and we had shows on adoption because like when I adopted Blake, people were like, Oh, how does she keep getting babies? I'm like, anyone can, I'll show you how I did it. Come on. And we'll show (laughs) it on TV, you know? (laughs) So. um, right. Yeah. I remember doing a, a lot of shows about that and people writing me still saying, you're the reason I adopted and. Or I got the baby from the lawyer on your show and he's now in college. And, you know, it's wild. It really is to be this old with this much uh, history behind you. You know, you don't think in your 30s. But when you get to be 60, you think it's
3: so much history. Let's get into your personal history. Go. Let's go. We have to talk about a league of their own yes we recently found out you have a role on the reboot series. yes i do very excited to hear that what are we allowed to know about that
1: (laughs) um i'm not sure but i will tell you this what you're not allowed to know about the l word is everything oh they give you like a thesis of what you can and cannot say But nobody has told me yet for League of Their Own. But I know I'm playing a bartender in the one sort of gay bar in the 1940s in this town in the middle of the country.
3: Mm -hmm. And,
1: um, you know, it's going to be really wonderful. I saw the pilot. I thought they did an amazing job. There's sort of homage to characters like there's a chubby girl who talks like me from New York, you know there's like a sex pot, like Madonna, and, <laughs> you know, they have like little nods to people. It's, it's very right, sweet. Right. Um, and imagine if they talked about the sexuality as well on league mm-hmm. of their own, like, you know, when people right. go to these reunions of all the women from the league, it's all lesbians, you know? Right. right? Yeah. right. The mommy might think that the grandkids might think it's that's Nana's friend, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. But, come on at this point. Uh, So very wisely, the uh, people who put it together thought, imagine if we could explore that, you know, I thought it was an interesting little note. You know, people say, was your character gay on League of Their Own? And I say, yes, definitely. And was in love with May. Didn't maybe know what to do about it, but definitely was in love with May and uh, Mm -hmm. liked to protect her, like a big sister and but, you know, when she did that scene on the bus, when I did that, where I said, oh, I was not a normal girl. And now I realize there's a lot of us. We're all OK. Penny goes, cut, Rosie. That's not like a gay thing. I go, what? <laughs> she goes, what are you saying? You're like doing it like it's a gay thing. I go, well, Penny, those, those are the words. I'm saying the words. What do you mean to make it a gay thing? What do you think it's about if it's not about... No, it's just that she didn't feel like she was a normal girl. And then she (laughs) did because all the girls playing baseball with her, that's Mm -hmm, all. That's it. (laughs) And that's kind of, you know, that was it. There was no subtext of any of that with anyone. The only one who got to have a sex life was Gina Davis's character. Mm -hmm. Right? Got to have a relationship. Everyone else was...
2: Well, it was kind of crazy that Marla Hooch, who also seemed clearly gay, (laughs) that they have her link up with the the guy at the nightclub. But more so than anybody, to me, Kit came off as gay, Laurie Petty's character. Yeah,
1: totally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's just like her essence is sort of that, you know, kind of... Scrappy dyke. (laughs) Well, more, almost even like a... Non-binary kind of, you know, right. girl who like yeah. shaves her head and, but I know she was with guys, I know this guy, comedian, who she was with for a long time and, you know, I don't know, I always thought she was gay, but I, I don't really know her that well, you know, mean, mm-hmm. we did the movie, I didn't, it's not like we became friends or hung out or anything.
3: Well, Speaking of queer subtexts from characters you played, a lot of people don't know your character in Now and Then totally was originally intended, intended to, to be, be a gay. lesbian. as yes, a that, lesbian
1: by a lesbian, me. I'm in it. Yeah. Um, yes. And that was the part of, of the whole thing that she it was gay, Roberta. And mm-hmm. um, when they saw a cut of the film, they said people were confused with whether or not I was in love with. Rita Wilson, because when she's pushed out the baby, I say I love you to her. And so they didn't know what to do because they thought it was too much like lovers. It's like what? So when I saw the movie, I was like, all the kind of nuance gay things were kind of a little bit taken out, you know? But even though I'm still playing it like that, because that's how I played it the whole time. Okay. Right? That's what I've always wondered. This
3: movie means so much to me, and I know to so many other Millennial girls who came of age in the 90s, it's just every friend I have growing up like we could quote it from beginning to end I recently learned about this and was devastated you've always I just the character was gay like to me like and when I didn't know I was or what gay was like I just I knew it in my bones and they they had that singular line at the end that they added in about like Roberta chooses to live an alternative life living in sin with her boyfriend like and that's it So yeah, Is that what it says, living in sin with her boyfriend? Yeah, they add in, (laughs) Rita, just saying, you know, like the different paths you could take. Roberta has chosen to take an alternative path. Even just the the word alternative made me think like, well, she's definitely gay. Um, But then living in sin with her boyfriend, I was wondering what...
1: Everyone did a spit take. What? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I don't know. You know, it was... That was, you know, when my show was still on. And um, sorry, that's so annoying. It's the leaf blowers outside. They're not on my That house. always happens with L.A. guests. Yeah. yeah, because you know why? The houses are so close to each other. I was um, talking on my phone on my tiny little patio near my jagged little pool. And um, the neighbor, when I saw her outside the next day, said, so I heard you're going to Disney. Like you heard it over the fence. That's what she heard. A little odd. A little odd. Little odd.
2: I'm just surprised because I didn't think that there were leaves to blow in LA. Like on the ground, you don't see maybe because everyone's blowing them already. Yeah, they're getting blown all
1: (laughs) all over the place. You never see them land. You're right. You've just seen like a big pile of leaves in LA like you're doing. No.
0: no. Right.
1: Yeah.
0: Are you ready to shop?
1: Are you thinking about getting into Dungeons & Dragons? Maybe you're looking to expand your horizons as a DM or a player. If that's the case, then it's time for you to check out The Dungeon Cast, the best D&D podcast out there that helps you passively learn all about the game just by listening. Find The Dungeon Cast anywhere you get podcasts or on YouTube.
2: Going back to A League of Their Own, do you have any other good Penny Marshall stories? <laughs> like, what, What's one of your favorite Penny Marshall moments?
1: Well, every day at like about four o'clock or five 30. And mind you, we started before dawn usually. And you know, it's, it's exhausting. I mean, I know there are people who are homeless outside. I know that there are people, I'm just saying in, in my universe of, of where I work, it's very long days, you know? So she would get tired around four or five and she'd start mumbling and nobody could really understand her. So a lot of times when she go like, who wants to go over there and then lead over, come back, you have a hot dog in your mouth and you catch a before anybody. And I would always go, I'll do it. I'll come Rosie, <laughs> always Rosie. And it's because I could understand her. Not everyone could, you know, but she would have bacon every day at four or five o'clock. She'd scream, Bacon! bacon and craft service would run out with a plate of bacon for her. She'd eat like a whole plate of bacon almost every day. She was an obsessive hoarder of quilts, of paraphernalia, of memorabilia, of sports Mm -hmm. stuff, like incredible, like to the point where when we did the Target, I mean the um, Kmart, Kmart. Thank you. Yes. Kmart commercials. She, like, rented a plane to take all the stuff that she was taking for free home to Los Angeles, where she could have bought it all for, like, yeah. $6,000 and <laughs> saved the 35000 on the plane, you know? But her getting free stuff was, like, a main existence point of her life.
3: <laughs> yeah, I loved that interview. You kind of roasted her for how much she took away and, like, oh, got the God. total it was 6,000 something dollars yeah, worth. It was and you're like, it's kind of
1: it, hard to spend, to spend that much, that at much Kmart money at, Kmart at that time. Exactly. <laughs> but she'd be like, we'd be doing the scene and she'd go, look at that Jeep over there. One of your kids big enough for that Jeep. Let's get that Jeep for one of your kids. I, I, I don't need anything from Kmart. Thanks, Penn, you know, <laughs> but you know, she struggled a lot with substance abuse and it was sad. She got very sick with cancer and, went to her brain and then she was in a wheelchair, which I know made her very upset and Carrie died. And they were like, you know, two uh, two sisters, same trunk, different branches. So it's hard, you know, it's hard to believe that she and Nora Ephron are gone, you know, like these yeah. two women who had such, I was so lucky to have female directors for so many of my projects, I mean, Hardly anyone gets to have as many female directors as I did, you know. And right. Penny and Nora are two of the best that there were ever, you know.
2: Penny was such a such a legend. And, you know, obviously I didn't know her personally. And celebrity passings normally don't affect me too much. But I remember being at, at work and reading the news and just crying at work yeah. <laughs> about Penny Marshall. That was just... One of my favorite things was that when she released her memoir, that to promote it, it's that video of Fred Armisen doing an impression of Penny Marshall promoting the memoir. And I thought it was just a comedy sketch, but Penny Marshall actually had that be the promo for her book. Oh, I didn't know that.
1: I can believe that.
2: (laughs) So funny. It's so funny. Um, It really
1: was something.
2: Well... So you were saying that the days were long and there's this one thing that that's gone around a bunch of is a a letter that Madonna wrote to one of her friends while shooting A League of Their Own and just bemoaning the experience and how horrible it was.
1: Um, (laughs) I didn't hear about that. I didn't hear about it. Oh, my gosh. Uh, What'd she call me?
2: Well, that's the thing. She doesn't mention you. And I'm like, this feels like a, a little bit of a of a slight because she says it was such a, a terrible time. But I know that that's where you two became friends. I'm going to read you the exact thing because okay, I don't want to misquote this. So it's a letter that she wrote to photographer Stephen Mizell. I cannot suffer any more than I have in the past month. Learning how to play baseball with a bunch of girls. Yuck. In Chicago, double yuck. I have a tan. I'm dirty all day. I hardly ever wear makeup. Penny Marshall, comma, Laverne, comma, Gina Davis is a Barbie doll. And when God decided where the beautiful men were going to live in the world, he did not choose Chicago. I have made few friends, but they are athletes, not actresses. They have nothing on the house of extra Avaganza. i wish i could come to new york
1: well, that's i think that sounds like her <laughs> yeah
2: i mean it does We have to verify <laughs> like, because there was no Mrs. gushing Rosie. over
1: you right yeah. yeah yeah well she wasn't she wasn't mad at me she didn't think i was annoying so she left the end. that's all right <laughs> yeah that's okay
2: and she likes comedians
1: she does yes
2: yeah, she had Amy Schumer open for her. Yeah, uh, on her on her tour, and she did that that stand up bit on Fallon. Did you see that? Yes,
1: I did. <laughs> what you? Think? I thought you know. Listen, good for her. She's trying it out. It's not easy to do those shows. You know. No, it takes guts to Thanks do uh, your first That's open exactly mic on right. Fallon. Yeah. <laughs> first wow. On Mike, is this thing on?
3: <laughs> Hello. <laughs> well, can we talk about your stand up career? Sure. You'd mentioned on an interview with Andy Cohen on Watch What Happens Live in 2019 that you were um, you were getting ready to go do a show at um, Leah Delaria's The Club in Provincetown, and you said you were working on an hour to potentially do for HBO. Are you still, like, working on an hour? Did the pandemic affect plans for yeah, that? Yeah, it did.
1: Yeah. Because uh, we had tour dates, little clubs. That's how I mm-hmm. usually do it. I chunk it out. I do... Uh, you know, just take index cards and write the topic. And then as many of the bit topics, I do it like an outline form. And, uh, and then I go do like, all right, I'm going to try these three chunks tonight. And, you know, or these, uh, and then you eventually end up with a whole new, a whole new bit, but um, I haven't gotten to do it. And I still think I'm, I'm very concerned about COVID. I yeah. wouldn't mm-hmm. feel comfortable performing. I don't think live, you know, now I'm I'm very worried because the kids and I have an eight year old and this right. seems, you know, very risky. But I would like to do it. I have a lot of material about the pandemic and uh, about being 60, about turning 60. Like and I, I was so inspired by Bo Burnham's special Inside. You know, I don't know if you saw that on Netflix, but it really. Yeah. 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 I thought it was a brilliant piece of work. And uh, mm-hmm. Thought it talked about mental illness in a way that few people do. And those songs are also kitschy and gimmicky and great. You know, my kids are like, turn it off. You know, I have it on in the car, I have it on everywhere. Like it's a musical. It
3: is. Yeah. Well, we hope we get to see that hour yeah, eventually I like. when things calm down. We do comedy. We had actually just done a stand-up show in Provincetown this Provincetown. past weekend.
2: Um, yeah. Really, I'm still here. Uh, uh, what was <laughs> the, the Velvet Lounge the, or the yeah, or it was the Red Room at Velvet, and yeah. I'm actually going to to the club tonight. <laughs>
3: Oh, oh, yeah. In Carolyn's in P-Town right now still. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was jarring. It, it's, it's just a weird time, like a socially distant audience. You're trying to decipher whether or not people are laughing behind their masks. The uh, audience
1: was masked. Yeah, it, it yeah. was
3: it was strange. Um,
1: yeah. yeah, it's not, you know, usually you have like sniper vision when you're doing stand up where you could see who's smiling, who's not who might mm-hmm, like, be dangerous, who's getting too close. You know, you really yeah, are right. constantly taking input from the audience, and to have it be masked is very uh, trippy.
3: I was just looking right. for crow's feet. Like, I was just looking
2: at laugh lines,
3: like. Right, right, <laughs> trying <yeah>. to see.
1: <laughs>
3: <Are> they
2: happy. <laughs> you did bring up the L word before, and we know that there's a lot you can't say. We absolutely love Carrie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Our favorite L word character already. Yes. Um, the best thing that's happened to the L word. Because she's so real. Because I mean, <laughs> so she's real. an actual lesbian. Yeah. With real yeah. lesbian concerns. I think just being real and also you're an incredible actress. So the, the way yeah. that you play the part is so perfect. The, the comedic timing. I mean, that scene in the restaurant with the oysters and everything. And when you walk away from Gigi and... You're like, what, what is she talking about? Leave them for the adults. Like, it's just, it's so perfect. And uh, it it just, yeah, it brings this whole other, like, it ups the game of the L word. Did you watch the original L word? Oh, yes. Are you you kidding me? Okay.
1: I'm a All right, am okay. who, who, yes, like?
2: <laughs> yeah. who are you shipping? Who are your who are your favorite couple? How did you feel about coming
1: in on uh Tibet? I'm very happy to break up Tibet, I can tell you yes. right now. We are too. Yes, yes we, we are. Yes. Too. Tibet has We're had done. more than enough chances. And it wasn't only that yes. one time 18 years ago. What happened right. to the plumber? That's what I right. said. Come on, yeah. she's had more than one affair on Tina.
2: Well, and she was cheating on on Jody with Tina. It's a toxic relationship, and I, I want to know how the uh, how the Tibet fans are treating you. Are, are they are they upset about it? Or well, sometimes, un, like unlike us?
1: I was writing on my uh, I don't know what it was TikTok or something. Some of them were saying, "Leave them alone," and I was like, "What are <laughs> you kidding? We're engaged. Back up. I'm going to cut a bitch. Back up." You know. Um, but it was fun. We went to this. Dana's bar in somewhere so far away from my house, and there were like it was like being at the Dinah Shore convention, yeah. <laughs> you know, where um Palm Springs, where just everywhere you look, it's just a sea of undercuts and cargo shorts <laughs> right.
2: and lycra.
1: If you're if you're brave, you know, yeah, <laughs> it was something else.
2: When the original run was happening, were you ever asked to be on it then?
1: The very last scene, I was going to play the detective who found the body of Jenny in the pool or what? Lucy, oh. Wallace. Oh, Lucy Lawless that. in the pool. Yeah, yeah. it was. And um, that's what I was supposed to do. But I was shooting something else and there was a conflict and they wouldn't let me out to do it. So I couldn't do it. So but Eileen had always wanted me to be on there. And You know, I was a huge fan of it. I mean, like everyone. I mean, I always crushed out on um, Alice, Leisha Hayes, Leisha. Yeah. Adorable. She's just, and she looks as gorgeous as she did 10 years ago. I mean, all of them have been like frozen on ice. They haven't aged, yeah. Exactly. (laughs) They haven't aged a minute.
2: Right. When I saw Jennifer Beale's age, I was like, you've got to be kidding me.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah. She's gorgeous. She's She's my age, I think. She's fifty-nine or something. Yeah. And she looks yeah. like that. It's crazy.
2: Okay. I yeah, I had to know, are you improving some of the lines? Are you bring some because when you were going into the story about the jet ski place in Miami, I'm like, is this Rosie or is it just the writers who know Rosie? It's written.
1: It's all written. Okay. Now the little thing that that I did what you mentioned about what the hell are they talking about? Like that was an ad lib, right? Just thrown in. That's that scene was a little ad lib, but the rest of it all are written lines and that the writers, I think did a great job, you know, like she has to be, carries a little bit shocked that she like got Tina, you know, and now she's around Tina and all her gorgeous girlfriends and she's having an identity crisis, right. Where she used to be, oh, well, I'm a lawyer, I'm a GA, I'm a, you know, whatever, I'm a, uh, if you cannot afford one, one will be appointed for you. That's me, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so she has to sort of face herself and all the issues that she doesn't deal with by being in this old new group, you know?
2: Right. Yeah. So right. it's
1: pretty fascinating. I think they did a great job
2: Well, we we can't wait to see what happens with your character. Can you tell us, do we get to see, um, because the L Word is known for its sex scenes, do we get to see you and Tina be intimate at all?
1: Well, I'll tell you the truth. (laughs) When I took the deal, I told them I didn't want to have a sex scene. (sighs) They're like, really? Why? And I'm like, I have enough issues in my own life with my own body shame that I don't want to be, I I can't stand the memes that are going to happen. I just like, can we just leave that alone? And they were like, sure, we don't have to do that. You know? But then Kate and, and all the young women were like, what are you kidding me? Go it go right ahead. It'll be great. Right. You can wear a t-shirt if you want, or a box or shorts. You can do whatever you want. You know, I'm like, okay, okay. Not for me. Not for me.
3: Well, they are next level. They're not just regular. You're not
1: kidding. They're next Sex level. Scenes. And, and yeah, like they're, they're gorgeous tense. body next to gorgeous body next to what, you know? Everyone there is a model. It's like a gang of gorgeous girls. They travel in packs, you know, in the l word. Yeah. yeah.
2: Well, we think you fit in, Ro. You look great on the show. Yeah. And we love seeing well, you there.
1: Well, thank We're you. I had such Thrilled about me. it. And, um, such I'm not. I'm not on for two more episodes. So now I'm not Aww. on next week, then I'm on.
3: Oh good because we host watch parties actually for Showtime at Henrietta Hudson here wow, in New York. Fantastic. And yes. I Can tell you everyone's screaming when you're on screen. Oh, how
1: nice. It's
3: just such yes. a good, rece- I mean, us included, <laughs> but I won't be able to make the next two. So that's good to know that I'll be missing miss the me. ones that you're on. Yeah. Because <laughs> I love being in the room watching everyone watch you. <laughs> oh, that's so
1: fun. Everyone loves it. I would show up if I was in New York. Oh my God. Oh God. <laughs> we would love it <laughs> If that. you ever are. While the show I is used running. I to go there, stop. Henrietta, yeah. since back in the day.
2: Yeah, Lisa was telling us. Oh, that's right. We, we asked Lisa if she's ever seen you there.
1: Yeah, I've been there. And the cubby hole. I used to go there a long, long time ago. Yeah.
2: Well, speaking of your your old days, being, being a, a dyke in the village, what is dating like for you?
1: I'm so bad at it. Now, with the L word, I have to tell you, there's a lot. Of your age, lesbians that are very confident and very self-assured in ways that I'm like in shock, you know, so they they'll write me something and like, you know, I thought you were wonderful and some thank you. You know, I write back. Thank you. When can I take you out on a date? I'm like, (laughs) well, I just saw your photo and it looks like when you graduate high school, question mark. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I'm uh, 28 or I'm 34 or I'm, you know, I'm like, OK, hold on. I am 60. <laughs> send. Send, send, send. But they don't see, you know, they don't see this. So I have real a real issue with people's age. You know, I yeah. have a problem like. You know, if somebody is in their thirties and I'm 60, that's not going to fly for me. I have a son who's 26, you know, like it's a little too close for me. It doesn't feel like, uh, so I don't really know how to do it. I mean, people ask me, I get nervous. I don't know. You know, it's been, uh, it's been a while since I've gone on a date date.
2: Is it friends setting you up or have you ever tried the apps?
1: You know, is TikTok that- is, I find, is the latest lesbian dating um, match. It is site. F- that yep, full because lesbian match dot com or her or whatever the ones are now. Um, you can watch like a good 40 minutes of these people making entertainment and see like, OK, let that might be a warning here. Oh, well, wait, that, that's <laughs> kind of icky. You get to see a lot more than just a photo. Yeah, TikTok, you don't stop. Exactly. And TikTok, we hope you, don't you don't
2: never stop. do. I
1: know. We love
3: yes. it. I
2: know. You're so prolific on TikTok. We've got to Put know, us to shame. What's the process? when, what inspires you to make a TikTok?
1: It depends like if I'm if something big happens like I saw that big fight at the beach and these two people this husband Oh yeah, I watched fighting. Those. Yeah. Yeah. And they had this he had this table that came and he put it together like it was like some sort of Boy Scout thing with knots. And, yeah. and and then he put his chargers for his phones and this and that. And the wife came back and like picked up the phone and threw it at him. It was like a full on fight. Yeah. And uh, when they left, I when I got home, I'm like, I have to do that one. I just have to tell the story of what happened, you know. So that's sometimes just life. But. I do go on it and I like to sort of duet people or sing a song with them or, you know, do uh, something. If someone does something funny to do something back, I think it's a very creative app, you know, and it there is. are people who are really, really good at it. And I look to, to them and I'm very inspired at how creative they, they can be on, on this, what was formerly a 15 second app. Now you can have Right three or three minutes, but right, yeah, that's you know, it's a lot. You're
3: always on the cutting edge with social media, new social media, new media. Do these apps just save the name Rosie
1: for you? Then you know, like, like are they um, just keeping that waiting for you? That happened with Twitter when the guy from Twitter oh. came over to my house <laughs> and um, said was going to teach me Twitter. The Jack Dorsey came over to my house to teach me Twitter. Wow. And um, wow, I, I was like, that's what I was like, wow, you are the one guy I see on TV. And he uh, he said, we saved the name Rosie for you. I said, oh, OK. So I didn't know that it meant anything. But then come to it also saved that on Instagram. It saves it on. So now I just have that name where people a lot write me and go, can I buy that name from you? I'm like, no, no, it's more than we don't Rosie. want
2: why would anyone?
3: Yeah,
1: that's mine. I'm to people. another Rosie. Yeah.
2: What's the worst date that you've been on? Totally
1: no. <laughs> I totally know. It had to be 1994, A okay. woman had bought the right to go on a dinner date with me at an event that I was at. Oh. There was a place called Muse on Melrose, and it was like a trendy place of the day, and that's where we were going. And, um, She paid a lot of money to go. I get there and she's sitting there and it's obvious that she's already drunk, right? She's very drunk. Mm. And she's trying to get more drinks for her and trying to get me drinks. And I decided I'm not, I'm not drinking. Thank you. Anyway, I'm going to just go. She's like, well, wait, I go, why don't you get a cab? Why don't you just leave your keys here and get a cab? She's like, I'm fine to drive. I, I don't really know the woman, you know, like I, I'm like, well, I would, if I were you, I would leave your car here and get a cab. And it was no Ubers then, you know, Mm
3: -hmm.
1: we go to La Cienega. We're on Melrose. We hit a main street going up and she um, gets out of her car, which was a Mercedes convertible and comes to my car behind her and says, are you sure you don't want to go out for another drink? And I said, No. (laughs) She runs back to her car, comes back and asks me if I have a knife. I said, what? She said, I locked my keys in the car. Now, I had a knife on my this big that you like, you know, do your nails with. I don't even I
3: I don't think it's a (laughs) real
1: knife, even though it's a Swiss army, but it's thin as hell. You know, Mm
3: -hmm.
1: she took it. I thought she was going to jiggle the lock. Right. Yeah. She cuts into her leather top of her Mercedes with this little tiny fucking thing. The blade breaks off and cuts her skin right as a cop car turns and makes a left and stops right next to her. And I'm parked behind her. No, (laughs) I'm like, oh, dear God. The cop comes over and he's like, aren't you Rosie O'Donnell? I said, yes. I said, can I explain to you what happened, sir? This was a charity event. I don't know her. She's obviously drunk. I asked for her keys. She wouldn't take them. I don't know where she lives. I don't know anything about her. I have to go home. She's like, he's like, well, if you take her to a hotel and we leave her car in like one of those donut places, like with the big Randy's donut on it. So we left <laughs> her car there and I drove her to the four seasons. Cause that's where I always stayed. And I dropped her off there. I said, get a get a room. So she's getting a room. Next day I'm on the set of Exit to Eden. And it's an emergency phone call from this girl. She oh, wanted to know if we had sex and where her car was. Mm. The real bad thing is, three weeks later I walked in to do a voiceover, and she was the producer of the
2: Oh. oh my god. Wow. Um
3: Awful.
2: that's an epic bad day. Yeah. So <laughs> many yeah. levels.
3: Was this like a one-off voiceover? One
1: off. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> okay. Yeah. It wasn't like a series. Was I going to have to keep seeing her now? <laughs> yeah. Oh,
3: your voice work is so good though. I uh listened to the audiobook um of why am i blinking on the memoir find, slash, me, find, find me. me i had just yeah, said yeah. it yeah and all the voices you do made me wonder like why haven't you <laughs> where are all the like pixar characters yeah well uh tarzan
2: Turk. I did Turk. Oh, I did yeah. yes, you know yes, they yes. don't
1: really pay you a lot of money to do those it's like an honor oh, to, really oh, yes it's like an honor to work for disney and you know, I guess, yeah. they're honored when they make hundreds of millions of dollars. I don't know why <laughs> that's how it is. But, um, you know, you don't really make a lot of money. But I would love to do some. I don't know why I, I don't.
2: Is there a type of role? Because you've been in, uh, really kicking it up with the acting, it seems, in the past few, few years. And is, is there a kind of role or character that you're just dying to play that you haven't?
1: Well, someone like uh, Geraldine Page in the Pope of Greenwich Village. Have you ever seen that? No, but I'm going to just to feel the cigarette <laughs> taken out the pieces like this. My son, Walter, was as tough <laughs> as a bar of iron, and he didn't get that from his father. I got a brother. He's an old fashioned parish priest, gray hair and all. He'll do a spot on the six o'clock news, have this whole city in tears. Now you want to get out of my house, copper? That's exactly what she did in that movie.
3: So, like a grittier character, like a yeah, like like a not the queen of nice. No, exactly.
1: (laughs) But um, you know, listen, Smilf was a chance to play that kind of. I
3: love you in Smilf. I love. By the way, your Southie accent is perfect. Just that character. Yeah. My girlfriend and I love and speak in your character's Benacular. accent to each other. Yeah, <laughs> Again, vernacular.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I love that show. What was the name of your character in Beautiful Girls? It's... Can you believe I don't remember?
3: Yeah. I'm <laughs> blanking. It was like a Gina, Tina, like something like yeah, that. Yeah, I think it was Gina. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I loved that character. That was too. a great had a little grit, that one. To do that take all in one take, you know? yeah walking and right if you notice, the, there was there's no cutting, he just would do more yeah, big takes it was um it's awesome. really fun to do that movie, although when the movie poster came out, they sent it to my office, uh Miramax, and I looked at it, and I was like, Oh my God, was Courtney Cox in this movie? I never saw Courtney Cox in this film. And it was me. they had cut out so much I my thought face. that too, yeah, that I looked like Courtney Cox in the in the promos. And I was on the phone on mute when my agent was talking to Harvey, and he said, she should thank me. She's never looked better. Oh, my God. Always a classy man. What can I say? Mm -hmm. Right.
3: Yeah. May he rot in hell.
2: Yeah. Um, Speaking of roles, what do you think about the news of Beanie Feldstein being cast for Funny Girl for the Broadway revival? Well, you
1: know, I was working with Michael Mayer for a while on and had – Talk to him about doing the role of Rose, the mother of Fanny, who has a song in the Broadway show, but it was when Adina was doing it. And then I got the series and I moved out to LA, so I'm not available to do it. But I think Beanie is very, very talented. I think she's really good. I think it's an interesting choice. It's not, you know, a typical choice by any means. And, you know, let's hope she gets out there and, and makes it her own. I mean, Streisand will be 80 this year. You know, Mm -hmm. and it's never been revived. Right. So maybe it's time. And I wish them all the luck in the world.
2: And are you going to be coming back to New York for that? When when Broadway opens up, that's going to be. Yeah. Yeah, When Broadway opens. I
1: I don't know. I worry with this Delta variant, what's going to happen. Yeah. (sighs) I don't want to, but I do. You know, the Spanish Civil War, the Spanish flu that in the 1819 or whatever it was. Yeah, Um, The second wave was what killed millions of people We Mm -hmm. haven't had our second wave yet So it's very scary
2: Switching gears What is something about you That people are always surprised to learn Once they get to know you
1: I think the depression Like when people If you know anyone with depression Hi Yeah It's, um, you know, people are surprised. Like, sometimes they say, like, if they see me with my normal face in the store, not, like, smiling, are you okay? I'm okay. It's my normal face. We're used to seeing Rosie O'Donnell like this, but this is my normal face. I'm not upset. I'm not mad. You know, if you have depression, I think people are surprised at how, quote, unquote, heavy it can get. No. hmm Yep this woman i dated who was a police officer elizabeth rooney her name is she said you know that she would tell people listen it's not what you think you know <laughs> it's not dating her. Not what you think you know not that it's worse or it's just different than she would imagine you know right like the things weigh yeah. on me you know Well,
2: especially with being a a comedian and having had your show that I imagine there are a lot of expectations on you. And I think on comedians in general that people expect them to be on all the time and always jokey, jokey and trying to make people laugh when really it's usually the opposite. (laughs) Right.
1: Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, though, when I was your age and I would be at a club. And the middle act or the and the opener, we would all go out in the day to see a movie, usually to pass the time. And sometimes I would have like openers who were so excited that they're like, did you see we're in the paper? Yeah. We're like there's an ad for the governor's cafe. It's like that big, you know, And they're, yeah. they're telling everyone, hey, we're we're performing down at Vinny's Yuck Yuck Palace. If you want to come, we can get you some comps, you know, like right. I remember how annoying that used to be to me.
2: Right, right. When someone asks what you do and trying to avoid saying comedian. You you say you're an
3: accountant. I learned that from TikTok.
2: Yes. Much (laughs) better.
3: I know. That's for sex workers, but I think comedians should adopt that too. I'm an accountant. No further questions questions. (laughs) usually.
2: (laughs) How old were you when you when you realized that you were gay?
1: You know, it's so hard because my mom died at ten. So that was like a nuclear bomb in the middle of, you know, a life and everything kind of gets mixed up like at that kind of point. But I remember her telling me about, you know, menstruation and and getting your period and what I would have to do if that when that happened, you know, and then she went to the hospital and then she died. So I didn't know if it was real, if it was true. Like I thought it was maybe something that she did and she didn't mean to scare me, but she scared me. And so right around that time when she died, I had my first crush on Lori Shackner's older sister, Lisa. And when you went into Lori Shackner's house, her mother would take both of your cheeks in her hands and kiss you. And it was so unbelievable. And Lisa did it too. She would kiss you on both cheeks. And I remember thinking, oh my God, Lisa Shachner. That was it, you know. <laughs> um, so I would say pretty young, you know, yeah. I would say like around 10, 15. Yeah. Wow. Not bad. Yeah, not bad. <laughs> yeah, I was I knew. <laughs> you know, and I was so much better at sports than my brothers, and everybody, all their coaches used to say, can we trade them in for her? You know. <laughs> But this was before yeah, but, girls could play sports.
2: But you were also prom queen yeah. and everything. And class I class president, very, right? Was it weren't you yeah. in the class clown? Like With were the, were guys coming after
1: you? Guys? No, no, no. Yeah. No. no? No. Guys were not coming after me. I didn't have a I'm interested in you guys vibe. I was yeah. completely <laughs> disinterested. People were like, you don't like men. No, I just was not interested. Like, I was, right. I didn't have any interest in entertaining them and talking to them and right. smelling them. Like, I always thought they smelled bad, you know? Um, no, no interest, sort of. No interest yeah. from early on. So, no, none of them were. I had a crush on Mary Rose my senior year of high school. And um, she was dating Augie Tofano. And it was very, a lot of drama. But, you know, no, I never really... Um, had guys kind of wanting to date me.
2: And how long was it until you had like your first experience with another woman?
1: I would say I was, I went to college and I fell in love with a girl named Chris Cellucci, who wore a white hooded sweatshirt with no zipper. And I had never seen a hoodie like that with no zipper. (laughs) And red sweatpants and white Reebok low tops. And I remember she wore her ha- hair, blonde hair and a braid down her back. And for years, if I would see anyone with a braid, I would like <gasps> have to, my
0: breath,
1: you know, for a moment. Um, so we were never sexual, but we were madly in love. And I, we used to tickle each other's backs in college in the bed together and sleep in a twin bed. But that was it. Nobody was really brave enough oh, to wow. do anything else. Well,
3: that seems, wow. that sounds gayer than sex to me. <laughs>
2: yeah, exactly. <laughs>
3: right.
1: Probably. Right.
2: Yeah. Gently tugging at her braid yeah it's Yes. Tender
1: queer moments. Right. Right. <laughs> and then, um, I had a relationship, uh, when I was like my first real relationship, I would say I was, I think 22. Like I had, you know, had sex, Starting at, like, 21. Thanks for telling us.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I, don't know. I was
1: trying to remember now. <laughs> yeah. I could make up a whole story because nobody could fact check it.
2: <laughs> Going back to Madonna, quick question. So Madonna is working on her movie that she's writing with Diablo Cody, her biopic. Who do you think should play Madonna.
1: The young girl from Ozark.
2: Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah, she's
1: a great actress. Great actress.
2: Is there any chance that Lourdes would do it?
1: I don't think so. No.
2: <laughs> no. That'd be too messy, right?
1: No, and it's not her thing, I think. You know, yeah. she's going to do something. I think artistically she'll do something on her own. yeah. Yeah, a beautiful girl, wonderful girl.
2: I know, just seeing the picture, she looks so much like She like definitely
1: does. Yeah. yeah.
2: And then at the last concert I was lucky enough to see Madonna in October of twenty nineteen. Yeah. yeah. And with the frozen song and Lourdes with that screen coming. Oh down, right. Right. Yeah. That was just really cool. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, I I grew up um, a huge, huge Madonna fan. Like, my walls covered, plastered with posters, pictures, everything of Madonna. Um, a League of Their Own was my favorite movie. That's where I learned about you from. And then I knew you were best friends with her. And then your your show. And I started watching this. And everything that you liked, all the Broadway stuff, I'm like finally somebody who like gets me and and who I can relate to and there's also something about her I don't know what it is yeah. but I she makes me feel less weird and watching your show um every day you were just the coolest person I mean you still are uh and and anybody who listens to me talk on this podcast knows that I think you're the the coolest person well no, thank you um, so much it it meant so much to me Um, and like my mom loves you, my grandmother who's no longer with us loved you and just going to watch your show with my grandmother and and I remember when you came out and, and I imagine you got this a lot my grandma was like I mean, it's fine, but why all the stuff with Tom Cruise? Yeah. And
1: yeah, it wasn't like that, that. Yeah,
2: I know. Yeah. <laughs> and, but I remember thinking because that was around the time that I realized that, that I was gay and, and had my first girlfriend. And when she said that, I was like, oh, she's fine with Rosie being gay. It's just she felt deceived by the Tom Cruise exactly. thing. Exactly. <laughs> and, that's great. So now I know that my grandma's going to be okay with me and she was my best friend. And that just like meant, meant the world to me. So thank you for, for all of that. And, uh, you know, just wouldn't be doing this today if it, if it wasn't for you. I remember I met you, (laughs) of course I remember this. I met you (laughs) briefly after the show you did at UCB, that female gaze show. Oh, right. And at the end of the show, my wife and I were sitting in the front. I had my Rosie O'Donnell show, Koosh Ball pencil. And you looked at me and you said, come here. And you said, I got to hug the lesbians.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> and that moment uh, afterwards, I just, I like started sobbing. Oh, uh, <laughs> honey. And, and I called my mom, you know, it was like 11 o'clock at night in New York crying Gave my mom a heart attack. She's like, what's wrong? Where are you? Is Cecilia with you? What's happening?
1: And I'm like, oh, oh, you, you me. <laughs> Well, you know what happened to me the other day? What? I was out to dinner with my son and his fiance. And this guy comes over from a table just across from us and says, I'm good friends with your friend, Sheila. I'm like, oh, my God, how do you know her? Blah, blah, blah. And then I see Kathy Bates get up from her seat and start walking over to me. And she said, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. I said, what, what, what? She said, your role in I Know This Much is True. She said, I auditioned for that role and you did it better than I would have. And I thought to myself, is this really happening? Am I having a stroke? You know, like <laughs> am I smelling bird toast and hallucinating <laughs> this whole thing? And I said to my son who was there with me, I'm like, don't ever forget that, Blakey, because that's something <laughs> that I will probably talk myself out of that it happened, you know.
2: Right. Yeah, I couldn't honor. believe it.
1: I, I started getting teared up and my son's like, You gonna cry? I'm like, kind of. Yes, that's like the best actress working, telling me that she right. likes my stuff.
2: Do you feel like you get overlooked or underrated as an actor? Because you, you nail every role, everything you're in, I feel like.
1: Well, thank you. Brings That's so much to me. it. You yeah. know, I think for a long time when I did acting and then I did my talk show and then people see you locked in that position. So it, t- it took all this time for that to kind of dissipate. And people go, oh, are you going to do your right. show again? I'm like, I really, I really not. Because... I, I'm i going to continue to do what I'm doing, which is work on myself as an actress and and hopefully continue to get these wonderful roles that will give me an opportunity to one day have that Geraldine Page movie, you know, mm-hmm. hopefully, right? But we'll see. We'll see what happens. I know that I've had a career that most people couldn't even dream of, you know? And even right. when I was dreaming it up, I, I didn't think of the success and the level that I have had it, you know? I mean, it surpassed my dreams. And sometimes it's hard to sort of take it all in, you know? Like, it's hard also not to feel like, wow, I'm almost done. You know, you're 60, you know, you have 20 more years in you. You're lucky if you get to 80 healthy, you know? And uh, I'm hoping I do, because I have an eight-year-old. <laughs> yes. Yes, <laughs> exactly.
2: And we're hoping you do too, for more selfish reasons. Yes, yeah. well, I'll take them.
1: I'll take <laughs> s- them. All.
2: Such fans. Yes, yes. So <laughs> nice. Right. Just can't thank you enough for yeah preparing for the time. this. We've been like nerding out on uh, on Rosie content, for going through for old weeks. clips. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just crying. Um, oh, talking to our moms. <laughs>
1: That's right. so <laughs> Oh yeah,
2: my my mom says hi. Um, yeah, my so mom, mom say hi. Mom. That's very important that that we let you know. Truly, that. <laughs> like
3: you were like my after school mom. I was a latchkey kid. I um, would come home after school and watch your show. I grew up with immigrant parents who were just constantly working, going to night classes after work, and just learned so much from you, like. Cultural blind spots um, have like really lessened just from watching your show. I learned about Broadway, a lot of pop culture I would have never been exposed to, which I really think like steered me in the direction that I've like or the place I found myself in now. Like I just truly learned so much from you, wow. and. This is such an honor. I never thought I'd get to talk to you.
1: I'm not going to cry. Wow. (laughs) Listen, I'm proud of you two. So young and doing this. Thank you. you know, having the foresight to call it what it is, diking out. There you go.
2: (laughs) So young, Rosie, when you were my age, you were hosting the (laughs) Rosie O'Donnell show. Get out of here. Well, (laughs) from this point where
1: I sit, you look like babies.
3: (sighs)
2: Thank you. No, you really are fulfilling the prophecy of this podcast. Oh, that's true. When we started it out. Yeah, we we started it out the first episode. We say we wanna create a community for dykes and dike adjacent folks. We wanna bring different perspectives, people from all different walks of life, backgrounds, but really our raison d'être <laughs> is to have Rosie O'Donnell one day come on the podcast wow. because again, just such an icon, Daikon, Daikon! Uh, you know, have really like done it. so much <laughs> for our community and have made this all possible. So from the bottom of our hearts, thank you, Rosie, you are for more diving than out welcome. with us today. Both thank thank of you are so more
1: than welcome. Carry on. And anytime you want me to come on, just call me up. Oh my God.
2: And yeah, And if you need know. a, a date to see Funny Girl uh, on Broadway when you're back in New York. I'm available. Yeah, she's All she right. is one of those
3: millennials.
2: There you go. They're bold. <laughs> I'm telling
1: you, they are. Bold. My
2: wife won't mind. My wife won't mind. All right, good.
1: There we go. Now we're in a truffle. We're in a thruple. Look what happened. Look at that. <laughs> That's how easy it is. It's a gateway drug.
2: <laughs> These are the times we're living in. Uh, thank you so much, thank Rosie. You. Well, Enjoy the rest it. of your day. Yeah. See Take you care. We love you. Bye. Love you <laughs> Bye. back. Bye. Bye. Okay. So that was it. That was uh, the biggest interaction that I've had with Rosie yet. I have a feeling it's not going to be the last dreams come true. Dreams come true, and Rosie makes dreams come true for a lot of people. That was just such a great thing. So usually here is where we would answer a listener question, but Melody, we listen to each other every week. So my listener question for you is, what was your favorite part of talking to Rosie? Okay.
3: Excellent question, Carolyn. I would have to say, getting that confirmation from her that Roberta in Now and Then was a dyke. <laughs> like, <laughs> we all knew it. You know I'm obsessed. This was a major, major movie for me. And yeah. she obviously didn't have, like, the biggest part. Like, it was it played with time. Um, Christina Ricci played her younger self for majority of the movie, but, like, it definitely flashed back to her a lot. And as a kid, I was like, that is familiar and <laughs> just to like have that confirmation from her that like s- stuff was cut out of the movie of her saying like I love you to her friend and just being like more affectionate and yeah to talk to Rosie O'Donnell about now and then I know it's not even it's a blip on her career but <laughs> so much a TikTok of hers can change someone's life and like she does so much big and right. small and that was just something that meant so much to me I yeah. never thought I'd talk to her in life and the fact that I <laughs> talked to her about a movie that meant so much to me was huge right so I'd have to say that I mean there's so much to choose from this was a dream Carolyn do you have a favorite moment
2: there were a lot, I mean, at the end when she jokes about us being in a, a thruple, me, Cecilia, and Rosie, yeah. uh, you know, that's a sound clip that's going to be my new ringtone. Yeah. And there's so much I loved about this and so many little tidbits of information, you know, things like the Penny Marshall impression, so much fun. But one of my favorite things is we asked her and this isn't in the episode. So if you're listening to this, you did not hear it. We asked her to record a message for us to play at our L word watch parties that we do every Friday at Henrietta Hudson. And she agreed and recorded into the zoom, this video message for everybody Mm
3: -hmm.
2: and mid interview, mid interview. (laughs) And she's such a pro that it's like somebody flips a switch and all of a sudden it's showtime for Rosie. Yeah. And she just lands this perfect greeting. It's funny. It's charming. She doesn't hesitate. She doesn't stumble, stutter, nothing. And it's this great short clip. And we'll probably post this, we'll definitely post it on our Patreon so that everybody can see. And then the people at Henrietta's saw it. Yeah. I loved it so much, and just seeing her switch that mode—it's just always really cool when you see a professional like that be like, "Oh, okay, now I'm doing this thing." Yeah, action, uh, and oh, and seeing songs, that, yeah, yeah it that was, was really cool. Cool. Yeah.
3: Oh my god. Okay, that's my answer now too. And I think close second for us is bringing up TikTok. I got to say to her. <laughs> Literally, I go, TikTok, you don't stop. And she goes, exactly. (laughs) Something about that I can't stop thinking about. And it's so funny to me. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Without missing a beat. We should put a clip of
2: that on TikTok.
3: Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. All right. I'll get started on that.
2: Love it all right well we hope you all enjoyed that and again for more content we talk a little bit more about the behind the scenes on our patreon go to patreon.com slash out you can follow us on social media at Diking out everywhere at Diking out podcast on tiktok you can follow rosie rosie didn't plug her social media we'll plug it right here at rosie on rosie platform everywhere you can follow me at TGI Carolyn. You can follow me at Melody Kamali. And thank you to all you cutie patooties for listening. See you next Tuesday.
3: TikTok you don't shop.